0: This morning, I am super excited that my friend, Mark Bagwell, is coming to share with us. Mark and his wife, Sheila, were the founders of Golden Corners Church in the upstate of South Carolina. Golden Corners and Cedar Creek started at about the same time. And God has done incredible miracles in both of our churches, his churches. And then uh, just several years ago, as Mark transitioned out of that senior pastor role, he and his wife Sheila felt led to open a retreat center, a very special place for pastors and their spouses and missionaries where they could come and get refreshed and renewed energized, loved on, and cared for. Terry and I have had the opportunity to be a part of that, but more importantly, over these last five months, Mark has been not only a friend, but God has been using him to pastor and to shepherd your pastor through a very difficult time. He is an amazing man of God, and so would you join me and giving a huge, warm Cedar Creek Church welcome to my friend, Pastor Mark Bagwell.
1: Well, good morning, Cedar Creek. I just have to look at you for a few minutes. Maybe not a few minutes, a few seconds. I do have to look at you for a few seconds. I have to look at this wonderful, wonderful church. Not knowing a few months ago that I was going to have the opportunity to tell you this, But just a few weeks ago, when Philip asked me to come and preach, I knew I was going to have this opportunity, so I'm going to take it right now. You are wonderful people. And I thank you for loving your pastor and loving his wife and his family. You have done a wonderful job. And so I wanted to thank you for that just personally before we get started. I love Cedar Creek Church. I've loved Cedar Creek Church for 25 years. As Philip said, uh, Richard Swift, those of you that that know him, he and I, and about eight other churches uh, started similar type churches in the state. And our state didn't really know what to do with us, so they just put us together, you know. And we met Richard, and like I said, from Myrtle Beach to the upstate, they just brought us pastors together, and we all fell in love with each other, and we all supported each other, and Richard was was much older than all the rest of us, but he was still the coolest guy in the room, and I think he still is, you know, for those of you that know Richard. And uh, one day, he come in at one of our meetings with Philip. Uh, and his, your children were small, and Philip was young and, and stuff, and I was like, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle us, but he did, and we fell in love with Philip. And so we have just enjoyed watching as Cedar Creek has just done all that it has done and all that it's going to do. Because God just has great special plans for this church. And I'm excited, very, very excited to be with you this morning. And so, before I start speaking, uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. I know that we've already had several prayers this morning, and and I've fortunately been a part of a prayer time this morning that was unique and different and and wonderful, and my heart is so full with the songs that have been sang this morning, and and it's just been an awesome experience already, just feeling the Lord's presence. But as I pray this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I know that we usually listen to whoever's praying and, and we say amen to that and, and we move and, and what God's going to have us to say, but as I'm praying this morning, I'm going to ask each of you to pray, and this is what I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to say, if you haven't told the Lord that you love him this morning, you may want to start with that. Just, just say, Lord, I just love you and I'm grateful for you. And then what I want you to do is I want you to ask him, Lord, give me ears to hear this morning. Let me hear what you want me to hear today. Because I believe from the youngest to the oldest that's in that, uh, the auditorium right here this morning and in the campuses that are watching, I believe that it is ordained that you be here and that God wants to speak to you so that you would have ears to hear today and hear what he wants to say to your mind and your heart so pray with me father we truly truly are so so grateful to have the opportunity to stand here and Lord you know that I am humbled this morning I'm humbled because God I know that Philip the the shepherd the pastor of this church he he would carefully listen to you to to trust anyone that he would allow to stand here. And Father, I do not take that for granted. And God, I know that you and I have been talking about this for a long time now, and I know that you want to speak through me, and I ask you to do that in a powerful and wonderful and passionate way. But I do pray that each one that is here, each one that's at the other campuses, everyone that is listening online, they are taking advantage right now to ask you to give them ears to hear. And so, Lord, as you do that, move in their hearts like only you can. And we will give you praise for it, and we will thank you for it. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody says, Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you two stories today one is a personal story that happened to to me and my family and and then one is a biblical story that you find in John chapter 4 but uh, the first story is about me and Sheila and our three children we our oldest son is TJ and we have Drake in the middle and we have Candace Rose our youngest daughter and many many years ago we, uh, we did something that possibly many of you have done. Now, I believe this was the first and the last time that we particularly did it this way. But we went down to Myrtle Beach and we stayed at one of those resorts. One of those places that has all the slides and it has the, the, the slow river thing that you call it and it had large swimming pools and we were just looking at those pictures, it was so long ago we were not looking at it online. We were looking at it in the pictures, and so I booked us in the middle of the summer to go and have this delightful time together, and so we arrived sort of late at that night, and we went on up to a room, and we stayed there, but we were all very excited to get out to the pool area and stuff, so what I thought was early, we ate breakfast inside, we did a little, you know, cereal and milk and stuff, and then we headed down, and we were going to get us one of those leaning back chairs, you know, one of those that you said in and, and the kids were going to play in the pool and stuff and we realized we had just not got there early enough because there were towels in every one of those little chairs and people had already started reserving them and, and everything but we decided that's okay so we jumped in the pool and we were playing in the pool and I would really believe that there were about five million people just at that hotel you know and because as we started swimming and playing I started bumping into people strangers in the pool you know and finally I look at Sheila and say well you know what you know let's go build some sandcastles and stuff let's go out to the beach surely we'll just have a lot more room out there so we get out of the pool we walk up those little steps we go across that boardwalk and we get to the steps that go down this way and we look to the right and we look to the left and it was just a sea of people there were just so many people there already And I looked at Sheila, and Sheila said, we're going to find a place, Mark. We're going to be okay. I need to go back to the room. So you just go right. You go find us a place. Put the towels down. I will find you, and we'll start playing. We'll go out into the ocean. We'll have a great time. She starts back to the room. Now, our children at that time is age 10, age 8, and age 3. Candace Rose, she was 3. And so the last word Sheila said to me, though, was this. And don't lose the children. Okay, you know. And so she starts back to the room. I look at the children and say, follow me. So we start making our way and we're moving around people and we're looking for a spot. And finally we find a spot. I put the towels down. I look back and there's TJ and he's just grinning looking at me. And there's Drake and he's just grinning and looking at me. But there is no Candace. There is no Candace. Let me just say it one more time. There is no Candace. Now I've just felt every mama's heart move from about here down to your feet. And most of you dads as well. And I looked at the boys and I said, where's Candace? And they looked around like this, and I could see in their eyes that they were just doing what I told them to do. They were following me. There was no Candace. So I grabbed TJ up, and I grabbed Drake up, and I start running back toward the lifeguard stand. And I get to the lifeguard stand. I trot them down, and I start beating on that lifeguard stand. And I'm saying, my daughter, my daughter, my little daughter, she's lost. There's no, I can't find her, I can't find her. And he jumps off the stand. He has this little yellow pad and a, a pencil. And he said, tell me what she looks like. Tell me And I'm saying. You know, she's about this tall. She's got long blonde hair. She's got a little two-piece bathing suit on that's red. And I look at TJ and I said, TJ, run back up to the steps and look over. Maybe you can see her there. And obviously people could already see and hear the panic on my voice because the people laying out around the lifeguard stand, they're standing up and they're saying, we'll help look. We'll help look. The lifeguard group grabs his walkie-talkie and he calls up to the lifeguard up here and he said little girl's missing little girl's missing starts giving the description he calls down to the lifeguard down there starts giving the description and finally i just finally look up and say god if no one has stole my daughter you're gonna have to give me reasoning you're gonna have to help me find her and about that time I really felt like it was just a blessing from the Lord that he just made me start thinking. And he said, when you're going to find Candace, you're going to find her playing with other children. That's how you need to look for her. See, she was already this extrovert little three-year-old. She loved playing and stuff. I don't know where she got all her extrovertness from. But it was there. And so I started looking, guys, I'm telling you. I looked at group number one of children, no Candace. I keep searching, group number two, no Candace. Uh, Group number three, no Candace. And then group number four, right down there at the water, there was Candace. Little group building a sandcastle, and, and, and they're just, you know, just playing, and she's waiting on her time just to jump in and start playing. Well, during all of that, Sheila comes down and she sees TJ at the top of the steps and she says TJ what are you doing up here and TJ just immediately just threw me under the bus he just said daddy lost Candace I figured she was making her way back about this time But I start running toward Candace. I'm jumping, people, sand's going everywhere. I get to Candace, I grab her, I pick her up, and I squeeze her tight. Then I turn back around, and I spot Sheila, and I go, (laughs) like this. It's just like the Lion King, you know? And I just grab her, and I just hold her, and I squeeze her. That's story number one. Hold on to that. So now let's go to story number two. Guys, I want to tell you, when I read the Bible, it's the most exciting and wonderful thing. I enjoy it so much. When I'm reading stories, I, I just try to put myself in that story and I, I try to hear the sounds and, 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 and smell the smells and, and just try to imagine what that story's all about. And So this story I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to share some of my imagination with that story, and it starts out like this, that there's an early morning, and there's a lady laying in the bed, and she wakes up. And when she looks over, she sees this man laying beside her in the bed, and it's not her husband. She lays there a few more moments, and she pushes herself out of the bed, and she puts her clothes on, and she starts just making her way through the house a little bit and maybe about that time the man that's there in the bed he pushes himself out of the bed and puts his clothes on and maybe they talk and maybe they don't I I don't know maybe he just he just leaves and so she's standing there and she looks down and she sees this water bottle water jug sitting on the floor and she starts thinking back on on times at this time in the morning That she would take that jug and she would leave her house and she would walk out of her village and she would go to the well. And why would she do that that time in the morning? Because it was cool in the morning. And that's when the women would go do that. Uh, They would get the water because they had to have water. They had to have water to drink and they had to have water to to maybe cook with or, or do their clothes with or whatever. And very, very possibly she may have even looked out the window and seen some of the women from the village that were walking by. But I think she probably moved back a little bit because she didn't want their glances at her looking in that window. And you see, folks, the reason she didn't go to that well so early in the morning because she knew that if she went there, the women that were there, they would just speak badly about her. They would, they would say all kinds of of, of terrible hurtful things and she just couldn't do it she just couldn't just just see herself doing that and so 30 minutes go by an hour goes by and and maybe she even starts thinking well well maybe i'll just go to the market we're going to need food and other provisions and stuff but then she starts thinking oh, i don't even want to go to the market because if i go to the market they're going to say all bad things about me as well and and i just can't take that this morning and and so another hour and another hour goes by, and finally it's about noon time. And she looks at her water jug, and she thinks to herself, it's the hottest part of the day. Surely nobody's going to be at the well. And so she grabs her jug, and she steps out, and she walks out of the village, and she's headed toward the well. And as she gets there or gets close to there, sweat is coming off of her brow. And all of a sudden, she sees somebody sitting by the well cannot believe it cannot believe it oh my goodness this this person it's 12 o'clock why would somebody be at the well now and and as she gets a little closer she starts thinking i'll just turn around i'll go back and then she thinks no i gotta have water we just gotta maybe they won't say anything to me maybe they'll just ignore me and then as she gets closer she realizes it's not a woman it's a man Oh, even worse, what is he going to say to me? And maybe he's going to hit on me or, or something like that. And I just, I just don't know if I'm just going to do this. But she keeps walking toward the whale. And as she gets closer to the whale, she realizes it's not just a man. It is a Jewish man. And most of you have already figured out. I'm talking about the woman at the whale in Samaria. And it's a Jewish man, a Jewish man that is sitting there at that well. You see, folks, Jewish people did not go through Samaria. If they were leaving the southern part of Israel and heading up to the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee area, they would, they would make many hours trip around Samaria just not to go through Samaria. And some of them would even cross the Jordan and go up and cross the Jordan back just to not Go through Samaria. Why? Because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They thought they were half-breeds. They, they, were, they were not a kind to them at all. They were very, very mean to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. That's the way it was. That's where it was at. And now this Jewish man is sitting there at the well. She gets close. And all of a sudden, this man says this. Ma'am, would you please give me a drink of water?
0: She steps back
1: and she says, you're a man. You are a Jewish man. And you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? And then Jesus says this. Because it is Jesus setting at that well. He looks at her and he says, if you would take water from me, I would give you living water. Water that you would never thirst again. And again, the woman looks at him and doesn't see and sees that he doesn't have anything to get the water with. He doesn't even have a cup. And she says, are you greater than the prophets that came before us, the ones that built this well? Uh, You don't have anything to get water with. How would you get water and give me this, this water, this living water? And if you continue to read the story, you can just see that conversation there and and but in in just a little bit further down in that story in the bible it says this that that jesus looked at her and said you know before we talk about all of this and stuff go get your husband bring him back and then we'll talk about all of this and she says i don't have a husband and he looked at her and said you know you're right You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now, he's not your husband. And her heart starts racing, I believe, and she looks at him and she says, obviously you are a prophet. And again, they just start talking about things that that are are religious things, about the culture of the Jews and the culture of the Samaritans. And in, in all of that conversation, finally she just says, you know, One day, I know the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to reveal all of this to us. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Jesus, and I can just see with the passion And the compassion that Jesus has looking in her eye and her looking back at him. He looked at her and he said, I'm him. I'm him. I am the Messiah. I'm the one. Right here, right now. I am with you. And I don't know if she had put her, her pot down yet or not. I don't know, you know, but if she was still holding her pot, I can just see her knees just trembling just a little bit and, and possibly she sets down that pot. And guys, she's making a decision right here. Because of the conversations and the things that he had revealed to her about herself. And he saying that. And Jesus, again, with the passion and the compassion that he has. She was making this decision. And I believe that she believed what he was saying. And I don't know if she was just thinking just to kneel down in front of him at that time. But the Bible says that she done this. I believe she looked at him and she said, wait here. Wait here. I've got to go tell everyone in the village. I've got to go tell them that the Messiah is here. And I can see her taking a few steps away and then turning back and and doing like this. And him smiling at her and her just running back into the village. And probably going through her mind at that time was, you know, I don't know if they're going to believe me. I don't know if they're just going to talk bad of me. I don't know if they're going to make fun of me. But if that is the Messiah out there, everybody needs to know about it. And she starts telling the people, there's a man at the well. He says he's the Messiah. He's told me all about my life. You need to come out. You need to meet him. And the Bible says that they went out and started Meeting with Jesus out there now. Again, in my mind's eye, I've often thought about possibly she ran back and maybe standing beside Jesus at the well and introducing people, this is so-and-so and and this is so-and-so. And very possibly introduced her first five husbands. And very possibly even introduced the man that she was living with to Jesus. So why do I tell you this story? Why do I tell you both of these stories? Now listen to me. It's a very simple reason that I tell you both of these stories. There are hundreds, possibly thousands of people around this church right here. And hundreds, possibly thousands of people around the different campuses of Cedar Creek Church. That need to be rescued can I say that again there are people all around us right now that need to be rescued now some of them the reason I told you the story about Candace is some of them they don't even know they need to be rescued you know Candace she was just playing she was just having a good time she did not know that daddy needed to find her I knew I needed to find her, and I looked for her passionately. I looked for her with everything that I had inside of me because I knew that she at some time was going to need me. And I was her father, and my heart was breaking, and I wanted to find my daughter. There's people all around us right now that that life's good, They've got a good job. They, they, they're, everything's going on good at school or, or, you know, the family's good. Everything is fine. And literally in their mind, when you, when you start really thinking about it, they do not think that they need to be rescued. But those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, we know that even those that don't know, that they need to be rescued, need to be introduced to Jesus. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to to go out and find them, love on them, build relationships with them. And eventually, as Paul said, I will eventually have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And those folks are all around us. But the reason I told you the second story is this. Again, there's hundreds, possibly thousands of people around this campus and the other campuses and all around Aiken, Augusta and that area that they wake up every morning like that woman. They wake up with a a hurting inside, an emptiness inside, a lostness inside and they are truly just waiting for somebody to tell them the beautiful story of Jesus Christ. Because it is beautiful. It is a wonderful thing that that we can share with them. And again, I believe that God has called us to be his hands and feet. And and as I I told you about the woman that was, was, was headed back into the community, that she realized they may not receive her at first. But I think she would have been persistent. And so what happens, folks, when that happens? I want to read you a scripture. When we do stuff like this that I just described, and the woman did what she did, what happened was it says that Jesus stayed in Samaria for two more days. He was there. And then in verse 42 of chapter 4, it says, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And I read that scripture to you this morning just to say that I believe if we do our parts, then Jesus will come in, then Jesus will start speaking to their hearts, just like he spoke to you at one time. Those of you that have asked Christ into your life, he wooed you to come to them, uh, to come to you, and he will do that with people that we talk to as well. I want to read you something real quick. And it's out of uh, out of the book called uh, "The Ragamuffin Reflections of the Ragamuffin," and uh, a guy named Brennan Manning wrote a, a book called "The Ragamuffin Gospel" about 25 years ago. And this is excerpts from it. It says, and this is about Jesus. It says, "The passion of Christ is being played out in our own communities, perhaps in our own homes, in anyone who is in agony of flesh or spirit." Jesus is there not in some vague, eerie way, but as a real presence. For what we do for the least of our brothers and sisters, we do for him. The compassionate love of Jesus at work within us empowers us to suffer with, endure with, struggle with, partake of, be moved in the depths of our being for the hunger, nakedness, loneliness, pain, Unpleasant choices and failed dreams of our brothers and sisters in the human family. And then one more thing I want to read to you about Jesus is this. I found this the other day. It's beautiful. Listen to these words. Jesus came to give us an abundant life. Not only an abundant life, but a life of true fulfillment. You see, Jesus lived among the broken He shared his meals with the ungodly. He was never stuck inside the prison of religion. He is true freedom and everlasting joy. When society restricted people from touching the sick, Jesus touched and healed them. When holy men restricted themselves from being with sinners, Jesus befriended them. And when the religious system restricted people from having access to God, the good father... Then God, the perfect son, came in flesh to be among them, to love them, to save them, to be them. Man, that is beautiful. And so I end with this this morning. I know I I needed to tell you the two stories that I did. Because I wanted to challenge us today. Today to go after those that need to be rescued, to ask God to open doors for us to do that and to be willing to do that. But before I can let you leave here today, I need to say this to you personally. The majority of people in the world that believe in God, this is what they believe. The majority. They believe that God loves them but they do not believe that God likes them. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. They believe that God loves them, but they do not believe that God likes them. A few weeks ago my daughter-in-law sent us a, a little 20 second video of our granddaughter and Kenny Bell was helping Ashley put her makeup on like she does every morning. And, and Ashley sings to our two grandchildren before they go to bed every night. Sometimes it's a Christian song. Sometimes it's a, a secular song. And for the last few nights, she had been singing this song to them uh, by a guy named Bruno Morris. I didn't even know who Bruno Morris was. But I looked him up. That dude has some moves, you know. And, and, and I'm telling you. But I looked up this song and she just sings a few few words of it, but listen to this.
0: Your faith did not sing that I would change because you're amazing, just the way you are. And when you smile, the whole world stops and stays for a while because you're amazing. Just the way you are. You were doing so good. <laughs> wow. <Whoa.
1: laughs> oh, you know what Grandpa's heart's doing right now. But I need to say to you this morning. Now listen to me. Don't, don't think I'm talking to the person sitting beside you. And at the other campuses, don't think that I'm talking to the person sitting beside you. I'm talking to you. I wish I could come down from here, and I wish I could take each one of you with your, your, your chin in my hand and look at you and say, God loves you, but he likes you. He likes you. Right now, in this moment, he likes you just the way you are. I know I was looking this way, so can y'all, did did y'all get that? Remember those ears to hear, listen, God loves you, but he likes you too. Right now, in this very moment, he loves you, and he
0: likes you
1: tremendously. When you smile, oh, his heart just burst to see you smile. He loves you and he likes you. Campuses, if you're watching by video, I just want to take your chin in my hands and say, God loves you and he likes you. right now. He's so excited about you. So bow your heads with me. Father, you know the hearts that you're speaking to right now. You know those sitting here in church at Cedar Creek this morning that needed to hear that. And I just pray, Lord, that you just whisper in their ears so much, male, female, young or old, how beautiful they are to you. And how you love so much that when they woke up this morning, You were just able to smile because you knew they were coming here to Cedar Creek and you knew that they were going to hear me say to them how much he loves you and how much he likes you. So, God, thank you. We are so blessed to be your children. And we love you so much. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen.